When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What a wonderful day today is. Let me tell you. What a wonderful week it has been this past week. And I'm not talking about because the dog days of August are over and that the deadly summer heat is over. For some odd reason, I'm weird and I enjoy the deathly heat. And a lot of people don't. No, not because of, you know, because of cooler weather is on the horizon. Nope, it's not because Murph's Cartown Sports Shop has been up and running for a week now. Nope, it's not because the Patriots start uh, in less than two weeks, or I guess a week and a half at this point. Nope, it's not because football, uh, excuse me, hockey and basketball are on the horizon. And I better believe that it's not because the Red Sox are playing good because they're not. It's because Mac Jones is officially the starting quarterback for your and my and our New England Patriots football team for the 2021 NFL season and hopefully for the next 15 years. He actually did it. Mac Jones beat out Cam Newton and I couldn't be any happier for him. I think he deserved it. I think he earned it. And it was just going to be way too difficult for Cam Noon to beat him out for it with all the high praise and all the great plays and just the high intelligence IQ that you've seen from Mac Jones thus far in preseason, mini camp, training camp, this camp, that camp, your camp, my camp. Listen, I'm going to dive into it a little bit more, but it would have been a stupid decision to not start Mac Jones with the way he's been playing. If he hadn't been playing this well, then yes, it would have made perfect sense to not start him because he wouldn't have been ready. But we can clearly tell that he's ready. What's up, guys? My name is James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph. I am the host of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 86, a.k.a. the first episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk where Mac Jones is officially the starting quarterback. The news came out Tuesday, obviously a day after I recorded episode 85, on Monday, so I'm kind of late to it. I did come out with a little Instagram video. Hopefully, you were able to catch that. However, this is the first episode, episode numero uno of Murph's Boston Sports Talk with Mac Jones as our quarterback. Hopefully, the next 15 years of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, I can say, oh, this is episode number 350 of Mac Jones being the quarterback. You know, it's just fun. Just laugh and play along, right? Anyways, folks, hopefully you had a fantastic week thus far. 
weather has been very fally autumny. It's a little too chilly for me. I still like that heat. I know I'm a weirdo. I'm probably the only one that does. However, weather's getting a little too cold, a little too quick for my taste as you know when look back at the end of spring early summer it took forever for it to heat up it was like 60s and 70s for the longest period of time even days in the 50s and then it finally jumped up to the 90s and it was just stifling hot however now with the turn of the calendar from august to september temperatures have plummeted it is football season it is apple season pumpkin season it is autumn season although summer is still like three more weeks I don't know, the 21st of september until the official Last day of uh, summer. Hopefully you have great plans this weekend. It's going to be absolute great weather this weekend, at least from what I'm hearing or seeing in the New England, Rhode Island area. 79 and sunny tomorrow, 77 and cloudy Sunday, and then a little bit of rain. Cannot escape the damn rain. Hopefully everyone is okay after Hurricane Ida just absolutely tortured the Northeast, the Atlantic area, and obviously New Orleans uh, bless up to everybody in New Orleans. Hopefully you are okay and you're able to relocate safely and comfortably for the foreseeable future. Obviously, doing such is no way, shape, or form a thing that anyone wants to do, anything that people will find comfort in doing. Hopefully you're able to do so and you're able to get back into your own home relatively soon and continue on with your life because I could only imagine what you must be going through. So Everyone down in the New Orleans area, anybody in general that had to relocate or was seriously affected by Hurricane Ida, bless up. My prayers to you, and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you are safe, you are healthy, and you have food and water. I think that's the most important thing right now. Power and electricity would be fantastic. Do not get me wrong. However, the immediate life essentials right now, I think, is what's the most important. So hopefully you are all able to find that if you are in an unfortunate position of relocating right now. In addition to relocation, the New Orleans Saints will be playing their week one game in Jacksonville against the Packers. Be the Green Bay Packers versus New Orleans Saints in Jacksonville. The league was able to get the Jacksonville Jaguars to open up their facility for the Saints this coming week, week one. Other games for the Saints on the schedule until the Mercedes Superdome, I believe it's called, in New Orleans is open. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know. I know Dallas. I know Houston was kind of on the slate. Might be able to go to like Alabama or Auburn and play a game at like a college stadium. I don't know. Who knows? Hopefully the league can figure that out smoothly so we can have a nice, good, smooth schedule season because last year's COVID riddled season was very, very bumpy and it could easily happen again. Not just the NFL and all of sports. All right. All right. All right. The Patriots official 53 man roster was released Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Now it was due on was it Monday or Tuesday at like four o'clock, I believe. Now, this is no way, shape, or form the official roster that we will see week one. No, 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 no. Actually, it's probably far from it. Bill Belichick and the Patriots staff have to get down to 53 guys, whether a player is on IR or going to be on IR, I should say. If a player is currently on IR before the 53-man roster comes out, that's fine. However, we've already seen that the Patriots put Nikhil Harry on IR where we won't see him until week three. However, before that was able to be done, 
Patriots had to make sure he was on the 53-man roster first. So I'm going to read off each position and the players that made the team for said positions, and then we'll kind of react to the list in general. So quarterback, Mac Jones. Yep, just Mac Jones. Obviously, Brian Hoyer is more than likely, probably 93% going to come back to back him up. When Jared Stidham gets healthy, he'll probably be the official backup. But in the uh, in the interim, Brian Hoyer is going to be the tutor, the mentor to Mac Jones, which is something we have all speculated on and probably the only reason why Brian Hoyer is here in all honesty. But, hey, that's okay. I'm totally okay with that because Brian Hoyer looks like Tom Brady when he's out there. Mac Jones is getting comparisons to Tom Brady when he's out there. I'm perfectly okay with that. The offense for the past 20 years has been around a pocket-passing quarterback. Last year, we had a scrambling quarterback in Cam Newton. Things didn't work out. So we have Mac Jones here to kind of give us a sense of comfort and something that we're very much used to. Obviously, Brian Hoyer had to get cut, but he will rejoin the roster, which I believe he already officially did after players went on IR, trades, this and that. Running backs, Brandon Bolden, more of a special teamer, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, J.J. Taylor, James White, and Jakob Johnson, who is a fullback, however, still technically considered a running back. Uh, no surprise there. Honestly, Brandon Bolden, like I said, special teamer. Jakob Johnson's a fullback. And the four running backs, Harris, Stevenson, Taylor, and White, I really think only four running backs are going to make the roster one way or another. And Sony Michelle got the short end of the stick getting traded to Los Angeles. I, I like that running back group. I really think it's a strong one. Harris, Stevenson, Taylor, White. You get a lot of tools at your disposal in terms of backfield presence. You can have two in the two back there. You could have one in the slot. You could have um, really almost anyone back there and have your whole playbook open to you, especially with Stevenson being able to develop into more of a pass catcher. I know the Patriots kind of want White to be more of a running back where you hand him off the ball. And Damian Harrison seems just like a downfield rusher. Not too much in the passing game, so we'll see how he develops there. But I'm loving the the running back room. I think it's one of the stronger ones in the league. Speaking of stronger ones in the league, one that is not very strong in the league is your wide receiver room. Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Nikhil Harry, Gunnar Osleski, and Matthew Slater. Doesn't seem like a surprise there. You could say Nikhil Harry is a surprise, and like I mentioned earlier, he is on IR now, so he'll miss the first three weeks of the season, but there's no surprise there as as he injured his shoulder. Was it in the Eagles game? I think it was in the Eagles game. I forget if it was in the Eagles or the football team game where he injured his shoulder going up for a ball, whatever. But Aguilar, Bourne, Myers, Oshleski, kind of going to be your big four for your wide receivers going into the season. Matthew Slater, not really a wide receiver. He is a special teamer. All-pro special teamer, pro bowler, will be inducted into the Hall of Fame for spectacular special teams play as a gunner on punt and kickoffs. I'm excited uh, to a degree. I'm excited. I know I've, I've really bashed the wide receivers all preseason, all summer, but don't get me wrong. There's some nice names in here. Jacoby Myers, big year three coming. How's he going to perform being an undrafted guy? How's he going to look with Mac Jones? Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar signing big contracts. They got to step up to the plate. And Gunnar Oschleski made uh, all pro as a punt returner, I believe, or a kick returner, I should say. And they're expecting him to take a step up in terms of the offense. A lot of people are comparing comparing him to like a Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, a Troy Brown. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Let's see it first. And I think we will see it. I think with Nikhil Harry out, Gunnar Oshleski will be able to kind of shine as that fourth wide receiver to start the season. Obviously, I'm still expecting more moves to be made. How, how many moves? I don't know. But I wouldn't mind Gunnar Oshleski getting some uh, balls in the slot, really. See what he can do and see if he can live up to those ex- uh, those comparisons, those expectations. I don't know if they're expectations or not. Anyways, tight end, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, Devin Asiasi. No surprise there. Dalton Keene already on the IR towards MCL, I believe. Hunter Henry was going to start the season on IR, but it appears that he might not be. So this tight end group, one of the best ones in the league, obviously bringing in the top two tight end names in free agency this past this past year. Devin Asiasi needs to take a step up this year. He really does. It was a big year for him, Dalton Keene, entering year two. Obviously, Dalton Keene's on a uh, setback. However, Hunt, uh, Hunter Henry, Devin Asiasi, we need to see something because he was a third-round pick, I believe he was. So we really need to see him shine, and I hope I hope that he can step up into that tight end two role if Hunter Henry is going to miss some time or not 100%. I really want to see what Asiasi can do for this team, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that all three of them pan out because if you can have three tight ends that are serviceable in both the passing game and the running game, it's just Mitch, Mitch, bleh, bleh, mismatch galore, let me tell you. All right, moving on to the offensive line. Centers, David Andrews, Ted Karras, no surprise there. Not going to get into it too much. Guard, Yasir Durant, Shaq Mason, and Michael Onwenu. Mason Onwenu will be the starters, and Durant will be that backup swing guard. No surprise there. And the tackles, Trent Brown, Yadni Kajuste, Justin Heron, and Isaiah Wynn. Brown will be on the right side. Wynn will be on the left side. Kajuste and Heron will be your backup tackles. Patriots carrying, what, four backup linemen? Start the season, not surprised. I think that's actually a smart plan to carry four backup uh, linemen. Beginning of the season, trying to get, you know, the wrinkles out, trying to figure things out, different mismatches from the opposing defense. Injuries could pop up, especially where the weather is still relatively warm out. Bigger guys can cramp much easier. Once the weather gets a little colder, we could we see this drop down from four to three? Absolutely. What like a Kajuste or a Heron could get waived, bumped down to the practice squad for another player. Absolutely. But I like the idea of having or uh, carrying four offensive linemen to start the season. Like I said, especially with the weather still relatively warm. Defensive linemen: Henry Anderson, Christian Barmore, Carl Davis. David Godshaw, Lawrence Guy, Dietrich Wise, Carl Davis making the team. I saw him post on Instagram, I think it was, or maybe it was like the Patriots. I think it was the Patriots post, and it was like you know reactions from several different players, and one of them was Carl Davis. How happy, how surprised, how blessed, and just you know how excited he is to make the Patriots 53-man roster. I think it's well deserving. I know last year he kind of came in as just like a, hey, we need someone to throw up at the front there. Didn't really expect him to make the 53-man team, but I'm excited for him. I'm happy for him. I think he deserves it. The way he's played so far in preseason, I know I've kind of bashed that second or third line, uh, or string, I should say, for the defense, especially the front seven. But I think if he's able to learn from Lawrence Guy, Dietrich Wise, David Godchow, I think Carl Davis can really strive and thrive. I know Henry Anderson's more of a veteran, and he could learn from him as well. I'm just not a big fan of Henry Anderson. I don't know why. He's not terrible. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just something that's, 
just like Nelson Aguilar. Like, I mean, I got no beef or no hate for him. And, like, he's serviceable. It's just, I don't know. It's just, I'm not wowed with Nelson Aguilar. I'm not wowed with Henry Anderson. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Linebacker group, one of the stronger ones in the league, I must say. I, I really believe that this is a strong linebacking group. Obviously, a lot of NFL analysts around the league have said that the Patriots front seven as a whole is one of the best ones in the league, which I agree, but I think that a linebacking group is super strong. Jawan Bentley, Harvey Lange, Dante Hightower, Matthew Judon, Brandon King, Ronnie Perkins, Josh Uche, Kyle Van Noy, Chase Winowich. Now, Harvey Lange, I'm surprised made the team. I really am. I know that linebacking group is crowded. Honestly, he might have only made the team for maybe some special team serviceability or maybe because Anthony Jennings wasn't able to make the team due to him being out the whole year, him being placed on IR earlier this summer. Brandon King, also another guy who's a core special teamer, so you won't really see him as a quote-unquote linebacker, but he is technically a linebacker like Slater is technically a wide receiver. It's just King is a special team guy. Ronnie Perkins, third-round pick this past year. Haven't really seen too much about him yet. I just haven't noticed any big plays from him, but obviously as a third-round pick, you're going to make the team. I like this linebacking group. I really do. Bentley, Hightower, Judon, Uche, Van Noy, Winovich, uh, Perkins even. That's good. That's good stuff. A lot of versatility there, a lot of flexibility, whether it's pass rushing, coverage, uh, quarterback spying, You know, having guys coming off the end. I know Matthew Judon's more of an edge rusher. But, oh, that is good stuff. And I really think it helps having Hightower back and also bringing in Matthew Judon. If you didn't make those two moves, then this linebacking group is probably mediocre at best. Cornerbacks. Actually, I'm just going to do the whole secondary. Justin Bethel, J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones, Jalen Mills, Sean Wade, Jawan Williams, Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, Devin McCourty, Cody Davis. Justin Bethel, core special teamer. Cody Davis, also a core special teamer. J.C. Jackson, going to be your cornerback one. No surprise there with Stephon Gilmore going on the PUP list, the physically unable to perform list where he'll be out at least six weeks. So we won't see Stephon Gilmore until week seven. And this guy wanted more money. I mean, I, I, I know I've kind of gone back and forth on this, but if you're not going to play for the first six weeks, why am I paying you more money? Like you'll be able to, you'll get your your money, either the next year or when you play. Because if you're not out there, I'm not giving you a pay bump. No surprise that uh, Jonathan Jones made the roster. Your slot corner, Jalen Mills, new free agency, which I have an article I want to read about him in a few moments. Sean Wade, you just traded for. No surprise there. Jawan Williams, I've said all along, you should not cut him. You should not trade him. You should not move him at all. He should be on your team, and I'm very happy that he is on the team. He brings a lot of versatility. He is going into his third year now, so a little bit of experience. And he, him and Jalen Mills are going to have to take a step up this year because there's no Gilmore. J.C. Jackson's your cornerback one. Mills, Wade, and Williams will have to be your two. The the One of the others will have to be your three. Jonathan Jones is your slot cornerback. So it's going to be tough for this, uh, the cornerbacks, at least, to really show out and make some big plays. Overall, they're one of the better cornerback. Well, I guess let, let's encompass the whole secondary. The secondary is one of the better secondaries in all of NFL with Stephon Gilmore. Without Stephon Gilmore, I'd probably say it's still a top 10, top 12 even. 
But without Stephon Gilmore, it just takes a nosedive completely. Because when you play the Bucks in week four, they have weapons on weapons on weapons. And J.C. Jackson, who's he going to guard? He can only guard one. He can't guard Mike Evans. He can't guard Chris Godwin. He can't guard Antonio Brown all at the same time. So, I mean, ugh, it's going gonna, gonna to be tough. And safeties, Kyle Duggar, big year two coming in for him. I didn't like the draft pick two, uh, last year when they traded back out of the first round. Took Kyle Duggar. However, he's really turned me around on him. I love what I see from him. The versatility, the Pat Chung-esque play, uh, coverage safety, linebacking safety, sub-linebacker, can guard tight ends, running backs, wide receivers. I'm really loving it. I'm really hoping for a huge season from him. Adrian Phillips, another versatile safety where he can go in the slot, be the sub-backer. Could guard wide receivers, play deep coverage, and then obviously Devin McCourty being your center fielder who will just survey the whole field from 25 yards back and make sure there's nothing going over his head. And then Cody Davis, who I really don't like, I really don't care for, but he's a special teamer, so congrats on making the team. And then you have Quinn Nordine as your kicker, Jake Bailey as your punter, and then Joe Cardona as your long snapper. No surprises there. Except Quinn Nordine, a little bit of a surprise beating out Nick Folk. But hey, if you can get the uh, the reassurability that he can hit a 50-yard field goal more consistently than he can hit a 35-yard field goal, I guess it's easier to teach someone to kick a 35-yard field goal than it is someone to kick a 50-yard field goal. I mean, if anything happens, I guess there's always going to be veteran kickers out there looking for jobs that will be able to hit anything from 40 and in. And then you just have to kind of prepare your offense or plan your offense around, you know, whether or not to kick a field goal when you're, you know, 40 yards away from the end zone and the kick's now a 57-yarder. So I like Quinn Nordine. It brings you some youth. It brings you some energy. I know he hasn't played all that well. However, like I said, if you're able to hit the 50-yard field goals and struggle with the 35, I think it's easier to teach someone or – help someone make a 35-yard field goal than it is a 50-yard field goal. Like, I mean, like for me, I can kick a 40-yard field goal, I believe maybe 45 if I'm lucky. But, I mean, I'm no way, shape, or form going to be an NFL kicker, don't get me wrong. But, you know, kicking something 30, 35 yards is very much easier for someone like me than it is for me to learn how to kick a 50-yard field goal. I don't know if that comparison makes sense. It makes sense in my head, and it makes sense as I'm speaking it, but I don't know if it actually makes sense or not. But that's your 53-man roster for the New England Patriots. Obviously, there has been some transactions uh, ever since this uh, this came out on September 1st is when this article came out. However, the rosters came out on Tuesday. And then let's talk about the practice squad real quick. We have 12 players to the practice squad as of uh, yesterday, I believe. Tashawn Bauer, defensive lineman, Miles Bryant, cornerback. James Ferentz, offensive lineman, Nick Folk, kicker, Brian Hoyer, quarterback, Matt Lacoste, tight end, Bill Murray, defensive lineman, Trey Nixon, wide receiver, Alex Redmond, guard, D'Angelo Ross, defensive back, Will Sherman, offensive tackle, and Christian Wilkerson, wide receiver. A couple names I want to point out, Wilkerson being one of them. If Nikhil Harry was going to be traded, I think Wilkerson would have made the roster. I really do. But with Harry not being traded... It kind of puts you in a... I know he's going on IR. However, that gives you the flexibility to do other things, such as... I mean, look at the Sony Michelle trade. You traded Sony Michelle to open up a roster space for both Ramondre Stevenson and J.J. Taylor. 
with Nikhil Harry going on IR, he still has to be on your 53-man roster. He goes to IR and it opens up a slot for somebody else. Now, that could have been Christian Wilkerson. However, it seems like that was going to be for somebody else. Um, who is it? Um, the running back from Miami. Uh, what's his name? Malcolm Perry, who the Patriots signed off waivers from the Dolphins. He's a running back, wide receiver, little combo, wombo guy. So, I mean, I don't know much about this Perry guy. I, I would have to, you know, see how he looks. I mean, does it give you more flexibility if he's a both wide receiver and a running back? Sure. Is it a Cordell Patterson type guy? Maybe. However, I did like what I see, saw from Christian Wilkerson. I think any other injuries to the wide receiver group, we could see this kid vaulted up because I did like what I saw from Wilkerson. Granted, it was against second stringers and third stringers and, and such like that and guys who are going to be working at Foot Locker come Monday. However, oh, fire truck is going by. Very obnoxious. They gone? Okay, cool. So, I mean... Could we still could we still see Christian Wilkerson later this year? Absolutely. I'm not going to uh, cross his name off. Trey Nixon, a seventh-round pick this past year. I'm not surprised he didn't make the roster. Didn't really like how he played. Didn't didn't really, really wow me. Saw no spaz out of him. You know, some like, wow. So, I mean, plus he wears 87, which doesn't really sit well with a lot of Patriots fans. And I don't blame them because I feel like it's a little too soon to be just dishing out 87 to just anybody. But maybe Bill Belichick didn't like how uh, Gronk was like, oh, I'm only going to catch balls from Tom Brady when Gronk went, when Bill almost traded Gronk to Detroit. Uh, Matt Lacoste, I don't need him on the practice squad. You can just get him out of here. I'm done with him. He's trash. Brian Hoyer, obviously, going to come back to be the backup. Nick Folk could always come back, especially if Quinn Norton sucks at kicking field goals. You always have him there. And then Miles Bryant, very surprised he didn't make the roster. I really thought he showed enough to make the team. I really, really did. He uh, Obviously, he's young. He's undersized at 5'9". He has a lot of tools in his tool bag, but he also has a lot of things to work on, and maybe that's probably why he didn't make the team. I know with, with when you have Jackson, Jones, um, Joan Williams, Jalen Mills making the team ahead of you, it's kind of hard to find yourself a roster spot. But with Stephon Gilmore out, would we have seen Miles Bryant step up? Maybe, maybe not. But like I said, these rosters aren't official just yet. I'll kind of break them more down come Monday and Friday next week once we get a more finalized list heading into week one against the Miami Dolphins. There are two stories, though, I want to read. And I guess the first one will be against, uh, not against, but about Jalen Mills. And this is from September 2nd, which was yesterday, written by Mike Dussault from Patriots.com. Um, it is titled Notebook, Mills Ready for Any Role in the Secondary. Let's begin. After an offseason loaded with free agent moves, Jalen Mills' signing of a four-year, $24 million deal was one of the more underrated additions, with Stephon Gilmore ending up on the PUP list and expected to miss at least the first six weeks of the season. It puts a spotlight on the veteran cornerback who should play a vital role in the secondary this season. Quote, I feel like I was brought here to play some good football, said Mills on Thursday afternoon. I want to go out here and stop looking at the Patriots' offense every single day. Get this thing rolling and see what our team has. I know we're going to go out there, work hard at practice, and go out in games and play hard and play fast. End quote. It's easy to see why Mills intrigued the Patriots. Last season, he played almost every snap before missing the season finale, lining up all over the defense, including box safety, 
free safety, perimeter cornerback, and slot cornerback. That kind of versatility is valued in New England. But in Gilmore's absence, Mills could find himself playing less of a Swiss Army knife role and more of a traditional outside cornerback role. Quote, hold on. I think the cops are driving by. All right. Quote, wherever I'm needed, wherever they need to plug me in, I'm comfortable doing it all, said Mills. Coach does a great job. Whether it's a couple plays in practice, they'll put me outside. A couple plays in practice, they'll put me inside. Just so I'm always fresh on whatever spot I have to play in. So, I mean, wherever they want to plug me, I'm comfortable. End quote. Now, before I continue with this um, article, which is actually almost done, I love this kind of versatility from players, not just Jalen Mills, not just Kyle Duggar, Pat Chung, but just players in general, especially on the defensive side of things, because offensive players nowadays, whether it's a running back, wide receiver, tight end, I mean, hell, even quarterbacks be running routes nowadays. It's just like you need versatility all over the defense. Yeah, you have three, four guys rushing the quarterback, but your linebackers, they need to be able to guard these tight ends and these running backs and your cornerbacks need to be able to guard these quick, strong, fast wide receivers. And the tight ends are getting quick, fast, and strong. So just your cornerbacks, your safeties, your linebackers all need versatility. And the D linemen need to be able to be quick to get to the uh, quarterback fast to blow up these plays. So having a Jalen Mills, a Kyle Duggar in years past, you had Pat Chung. It's just so um, like invaluable. I mean, you look at teams now across the league where you have Tyron Matthew, you have Isaiah Simmons, Jamal Adams. I mean, a lot of teams are adopting this versatile secondary player who can play five different positions on the defense. I mean, even Jabril Peppers, who had so much hype coming out of Michigan where he played like nine positions in one game or whatever it was. Just being able to play outside, inside corner, slot corner, safety, free safety, strong safety, linebacker, sub-backer. It's just so crucial to a defense where you can have a player on a field being able to adapt to whatever play occurs for the opposing offense at any given moment. And you're not just stuck out there with three cornerbacks, two safeties, three linebackers, four rushers, and that's it. One of those safeties can do just about everything and they can you know adapt and react like that. So... I'm loving Jalen Mills. I, I don't know how I forget how I felt about the signing at the beginning of the offseason, but I am freaking digging it. All right, let's finish this article. With limited outside cornerback depth, Mills will be a key figure in the Patriots secondary, especially early in the season, where he could find himself lined up in man coverage against a variety of explosive threats. How uh, how well he'll my goodness, how well he holds up across from J.C. Jackson will be a big factor in how well the Patriots are able to match up. Quote, Mills is a pretty good player, said Jackson during his availability on Thursday. Not only that he's a great teammate, I mean he's smart. He's picked up our defense pretty fast. He brings good energy to the secondary and we're happy to have him. End quote. And I mean, not only is his versatility uh, you know, through the roof, it seems like He's fitting in very, very well, plus the green hair on top just gives him a little swagger to him. So I like him, especially with, you know, how offenses are developing where, you know, teams will run multiple running backs, multiple tight ends. They'll have quarterback run routes. It's just you need players that will be able to adapt, react, and just really, really shine or thrive or be able to just simply play. How about that? Just simply play in any given situation. Uh, Going from defense to offense side of things 
uh, let's talk about Gunnar Osleski and his another article. This one is from 985thesportshub.com, written by Matt Doloff on September 1st. Headlined, How Gunnar Osleski Became a Roster Lock. Gunnar Osleski had a rough few days and people wondered. Has a third-year pro and undrafted converted defensive back out of Bemidji State developed enough as a wide receiver to stick on the Patriots roster? Was his ability as a punt returner enough to keep him in New England? Couldn't the Patriots just get similar returns out of J.J. Taylor? It's asking a bit much to expect something close to first-team all-pro production from a replacement returner. Oshlesky set a new franchise record in 2020 with a ridiculous 17.3 yards per punt return and led the league in punt return yards 346 with a touchdown. So despite a few ugly drops as a receiver in the final week of the preseason, Oshlesky was evaluated based on the whole summer on the whole of his summer. For the Patriots coaches and evaluators, it was important to avoid recency bias, which is actually very important as a coach, period. In the case of Oslesky, his spot on the Patriots' 53-man roster was safe over Christian Wilkerson, Isaiah Zuber, and Trey Nixon because he produced a greater sum than the others over the course of camp. Oslesky may be, at best, the fourth or fifth receiver in the pecking order, but the other the other's ups and down performance and lack of versatility made Oshlesky the most valuable piece in the bunch, and he proved that throughout the summer. Very similar to a player like Jalen Brown, Kyle Duggar. Having versatility on even the offensive side of things is crucial, and not just offense, but also being able to return punts and return it very friggin' well. Quote, The evaluation process is something that's every single day ongoing, said wide receiver coach Mike Mick Lombardi on Wednesday. It starts as soon as a player walks in the door, in the building. I think for Gunner, that was three years ago as an undrafted rookie, and then every single day since, and every guy that kind of comes in that way to prove something, they kind of have something, they kind of have to have something every single day. The words sometimes be confusing me. We talk about stacking the days here and building off the days and learning from mistakes. And if you have a bad day, how do you respond to that bad day? And how do you come back and get better from your mistakes and learn from them? Very crucial. Quote, I think young players, especially like a guy like Gunner, can do that. As he puts it back in his memory bank and, go, and can go back on it and say, you know what? I'm going to learn from that and move on. That's what most young players who grow do. That's what we try to do in how we develop young men into becoming good NFL players is, hey, here's what you did. Here's how you fix it and move on, end quote. Bill Belichick in his press conference shortly before the Patriots ramped up roster cutdowns sounded like a head coach invested in still developing player, invested in a still developing player for the foreseeable future. Quote, he's been able to make multiple spots for us and has improved his route running technique and overall receiving skills. Belichick said Tuesday of Oshlesky, similar to J.J. Taylor, still has a way to go. I don't think he's a finished product yet, but certainly a lot better than what it was. He works hard, has made a lot of improvements, continues to. He's smart. He's able to play multiple positions. He's come a long way, and I think there's still some areas in front of him that he can get better, end quote. Oshlesky wasn't even a wide receiver three years ago. Ultimately, he provides value in a way that other receivers could not. That buys him time to continue developing as a pass catcher and to do it as one of the league's elite punt returners at that. Listen, 
Wes Welker started as a punt returner. Julian Edelman started as a punt returner. Gunnar Osleski is clearly starting as a punt returner, but they're also trying to develop him as a um, as a wide receiver. I got nothing wrong with that. Listen, you got you have three serviceable wide receivers right now on your roster, and Gunnar Osleski is fourth as it stands right now with Nikhil Harry injured. I think that's a perfect opportunity for him to develop as a uh, as a receiver. He's not the second guy. He's not the third guy. You don't have to lean on him. He's there when you need him. And if anything happens in terms of uh, Aguilar, Bourne, or even Jacoby Myers before Nikhil Harry comes back, you got Christian Wilkerson you can call up. I'm sure there's guys out on the streets that you'll be able to you know bring in in case you don't feel too comfortable with Gunnar Osleski for the near future, I should say. That might not be the best thing or the most ideal thing for the Patriots team to do, but it's an option that you have. And I think Gunnar Osleski right now where he is in terms of receiving is great for him. And honestly, once he gets his opportunities and he shines, that trust between him and Mac Jones and him, Josh Daniels, and him and Bill Belichick is only going to continue to grow and thrive. All while, he's an elite punt returner. I mean, he was all-pro punt returner last year. First team all-pro. Setting Patriot records, having the most punt return yards, a touchdown. I remember there was one game he scored a touchdown, but there was an illegal block in the back, so it got called back. So if you want to call it two touchdowns, go ahead. Uh, it's just, there's not much more you can ask from this guy in terms of a special team standpoint. It's just the versatility between being a returner, whether it's punt return, kick returner, and a wide receiver, is so valuable right now to not just the Patriots, but just teams in general. Because we're in a day and age where players are expected or at least wanted or at least needed to play multiple positions and not just wide receiver, running back, cornerback, linebacker. It's just like wide receivers now are wide receivers, slot receivers, returners, and then tight ends are blockers and receivers. And the you know linebackers are you know down linemen, they're edge rushers, they're coverage linebackers. It's just there's so much versatility in this game now because both sides of the ball are doing it. It's not like the defense is just growing to be versatile just because. It's because the offense is versatile. And the offense is growing very versatile because the defense is adapting to their versatility. So it's a, a pendulum swing pretty much, like a double-bladed sword. But I'm, I'm very excited for this Patriots roster. And I'm going to wrap up my Patriots segment. I'm going to jump into baseball in a few moments. But I really like the Patriots roster right now. I don't love it. I like a lot of the moves they made in the offseason. I predominantly like their draft class. Would I like them to see make a bigger splash at wide receiver? Yeah. But you know what? With Mac Jones as the quarterback, a really good running back room, a great tight end room, a great offensive line, you might be able to mask these things. And I think as the course of the season grows, I think the play from the wide receiver room can also grow. And then on the defensive side of things, I'm I'm liking it. I think the D-line, the linebackers, and the secondary, all three phases of the defense are well above average. And I really think the Patriots defense can be a top five, even a top three defense in this league when it's all said and done. But to start the season, I'm going to say top 10 because I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So that's going to be my massive Patriots segment for today's episode. Definitely reach out to me on social media at Murph's Cartown with any thoughts, 
questions, comments, concerns, opinions, whatever you may have about what I said, Patriots rosters, uh, the roster moves, transactions, anything between anything, honestly, because it's football season. We're going to be talking a lot about football. Over the summer, we talked a bunch of baseball. It's football season now. So whatever football conversation I can get my nose into, I'm going to do it. So if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on YouTube, please make sure you leave a comment down below. Similar thing, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, opinions, anything you have about what we talked in terms of Patriots today. Let's jump to baseball here. And no, I'm not friggin' talking about the Red Sox. I refuse to do so. I, I'm not doing it. No, 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 no. You want me to do it. You wish I was to do it. But I'm not doing it. I, I No, 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 no. I do not care. You're still eight games back. What's there to talk about when you're eight friggin' games back? Not doing it. Good luck. Not on this podcast. You're eight games back. Not doing it. You easily could be 10 games back. You could easily be 12 games back right now if you got swept. <sighs> okay. All right. Let's. We're going to address the state of the league. All right. I'm not going to. It's good. It almost sounded like a very like a presidential speech. Like, I'm going to address the union. No, no, no. I'm just going to address the league. All right. American League East. First one I see on the list. Tampa Bay Rays, 84 and 50, six and a half games over the Yankees. Eight games over the Red Sox. Blue Jays seem like they've kind of fallen off the face of the world. 13 games back. They're still kind of in the wild card picture as they're only five games back. So, I mean, could be moves made there, but I'm not going to hold my breath for the Blue Jays. They might be better off playing for next year. Uh, American League Central. Chicago White Sox, a nine-and-a-half game lead over the Indians. Nothing going on there. Just not even going to get into it. Houston... Houston Astros starting to uh, develop their lead over the Oakland Athletics at four and a half games now. Astros are skidding five and five. So on at the Athletics at four and six. I mean, it was a prime opportunity for the Athletics to thrive and shine. But they're fumbling the bag. They really are. And then the Mariners still six and a half games back. Both of those teams, the Athletics and the Mariners, are still well in the wildcard picture. However, getting the division is so much better and so much tastier because the Astros have been freaking doing it every single year since like 2016 or something something like that um before we jump to the national league let's look at the wild card and we have the yankees at one and a half games up on the second wild card red Sox, oakland two games out mariners four games out blue jays five games out and just for fun the indians are seven and a half games out don't see them coming anywhere close to making it can we talk about this is something i just noticed in this wild card picture I'm seeing here on ESPN, Entertainment Sports Programming Network, ESPN, the Toronto Blue Jays have a plus 117 run differential. They have scored 117 more runs than they have allowed. And they are 70 and 62, five games out of the wild card and 13 games out of the division. The Seattle Mariners have a minus 56 run differential and they're 72 and 62 and they're four games out and what was it five games out of the division holy smoke what a big gap and then the indians are only minus six but like yankees they're plus 52 the red sox plus 60 athletics plus 67 you would think that the mariners would be plus but nope they are well down minus 56 holy crap imagine if that was like 
30 runs high. You know, say it was like only minus 20. They'd probably be in the wild card right now. Maybe they'd be first place in the division. That poor play in the beginning of the year really comes back to bite you. And I know I often say the first two months don't matter. But when you look back at it here in August and now in September, it does matter. Because the Red Sox suck right now. And if they won maybe two of those games against the Orioles at the beginning of the year, things could be a little bit different. Who knows? Um, Okay, let's jump into the National League now where I don't want to say a lot has changed, but a lot has changed. (laughs) The Atlanta Braves now hold a two-game lead in the National League East over the Philadelphia Phillies and a five-game lead over the New York Mets. The Mets have fallen well, well, well from grace. Booing fans, uh, players booing the fans. It's just like a whole mess down there. And they made moves at the deadline. They brought in Javi Baez. So it's not like they're just sitting on their hands like a Red Sox team that I know and love. They actually went out and tried to get better to make a push for October, and they've kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit here. And, it, you know, making the wild card doesn't seem like it's going to be a possibility because that National League West is so friggin' good. Anyways, anyways, let's let's not digress too much here. Uh, the Nationals, 15 and a half games. I know there was a little bit of hope for them. They were like seven games out at one point when they sold Scherzer and Trey Turner and basically every other starter they had, Schwarber. Um, who else did they sell? Is that really it? No, they definitely got rid of more players. Why can't I think of any? Whatever, it doesn't matter. They suck now. They're 15 and a half games out of the division. They're 2 and 8, their last 10. They're definitely tanking for a good draft pick, but it's going to be tough because there's a lot of bad teams out there this year. Yikes. National League Central, not much to talk about. Milwaukee Brewers have a 10-game lead over the uh, Cincinnati Reds. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a it's going to be a battle for that National League wildcard spot. I think that first one is locked and loaded to the Dodgers or the Giants, whoever loses the division. And then it's going to be between the, the Reds, the Padres, Phillies, and Cardinals even. I guess you could throw the Mets in there. I'll get into the wildcard in just a few moments. But in your National League West, or I guess your National League, my National League, our, whatever, the Los Angeles Dodgers, 85 and 49, are tied. I know they took the um, the National League West lead, I think, like two nights ago, whatever, and they're playing a three-game series against the Dodgers. The Dodgers are playing a three-game series against the Giants, excuse me, and I think the Giants won, so now it's back to a tie. But the Dodgers and the Giants are neck and neck for that National League West title. Oh, my God. They're so good, both of them. And the Padres have fallen well off. They were not able to keep up. They were like two, three, four games out of the lead. But, oh, man, they're four and six in the last ten. It's just not looking good for the Padres right now. I mean, they can still make it as a wild card. But in terms of the division, they're not living up to the hype. They made moves uh, last offseason. They made moves this year at the deadline. It's just the Giants came out of friggin' nowhere this year to be so damn good. And if it wasn't for that, they'd be a lock for the wild card, at least, at minimum. But it just shows you that the Dodgers, even with the slow start that they had this year, with all the talent that they have, they are still the team to mess with in the National League and probably all of baseball as they have the best record in all of baseball, obviously tied with the Giants. And the Rays are right behind them, only a game out. Uh, all right, let's look at the National League wild card now. We have the San Francisco Giants. Plus, I guess the Giants and the Dodgers because the loser of the division would be the first wild card. They have a plus 13 and a half lead. 
in the National League wild card for the oh my god that's so gross, but but when we look back at things when baseball first uh, expanded to have two wild cards, this is, it turns out to be a great thing because it's not just no longer a race between the Dodgers and the the Giants for not just the division but the loser would get the wild card and the loser would walk away with the wild card thirteen and a half game lead but now with that second wild card, the Cincinnati Reds currently hold it. But the Padres are half a game out. The Phillies are two games out. The Cardinals are two and a half games out. And the Mets, five games out. So it's just like that second wild card. I don't know why I didn't like it to begin with. I just I feel like teams should be fighting for one spot. But when you look at years like this, when two teams from the same division are on track for 105 wins or whatever it may be, playing out of their freaking minds... 13 and a half game lead is just like, oh, if you're the Reds, might as well just tank this year because you're not going to make up a 13 and a half game deficit and get a draft pick for next year because you're not going to win the division because the division's another 10 game deficit as well. I love it. And I know baseball kind of wants to expand the playoffs a little bit more. And I think they should to a degree chop off like 14 games in the regular season. And then they should try to expand to another round of playoffs. Maybe have eight teams. Kind of, uh, I don't know. Do I want 16 teams making the playoffs? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I really like the one game playing. I really do. I really do. Maybe this, this could be a video for a topic for another video or episode. But I'll just quickly go into it. Where you have seven teams. Or maybe you can have eight teams make it. Seed seven and eight playing game because i freaking love that one game playing for the wild card it is so intense it's probably the best baseball you'll see all year round <laughs> i just got so excited seven and eight playing game loser done winner plays the two the two seed of the uh the the league right they play a three game series the winner moves on loser goes home obviously three and six play in a three game series four and five play in a three game series Everyone moves on. Oh, and then the one would have a buy. One would have a buy, and then one would get the lowest seed. Two would get the next. Eh, kind of, is it kind of like what we saw last year with COVID? I forget exactly what we saw last year with COVID. Um, is there any way I can see what? Is there any way I can see who made the? Okay, so the Rays, Yankees, Blue Jays, Twins, White Sox, Indians. That's six. Athletics, Astros, that's eight. All made the playoffs last year. I think that's a little too much. Now that I look at it, I think that's a little too much. Because when you look at the Central, you got four teams freaking making it. The Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, Brewers. I don't know. And the Brewers were 29-31 and 31 last year. I mean, they were only five games out, but that division was a mess last year. I don't know. I don't like – if the if MLB was to expand to 32 teams, I, w- I wouldn't have a problem with eight teams from each um, – league making it but with only 30 teams i kind of have a problem with it i just think it's a little too cluttered i don't need more than half the league to make the playoffs i don't the playoffs should be something you, you're earned and in some years it's something you're just going to walk into like the brewers i mean they were 29 and 31 last year they, they just simply walked into that oh man that's tough that's tough and then I like oh like the Marlins look I mean they actually the Marlins did play very well last year they were thirty one and twenty nine they earned that but a team like the um, 
the Astros 29-31. They just kind of walked into that. So, I mean, I don't know. If MLB was to expand to 32, I would be more than well open up to a 16-team playoff picture. Obviously, that's exactly half the league. It's better than 16 out of 30 teams making it. That's definitely for sure. But I digress from basically my whole point. Right now, MLB um, is an interesting spot right now. A lot of your playoff teams are really starting to kind of separate themselves. The Rays, White Sox have, Astros are doing it. The uh, The Braves are trying to. Brewers already done so. And then the Dodgers and Giants have clearly done so. The Padres, still in the picture, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, I don't know. They're just kind of falling off the face of the earth a little bit. But you know what? It's a six-month grind, MLB. It's a long season. It's why you play every single game the best that you possibly can. And it definitely pays off when it comes September and you're looking at the playoff picture. But, folks, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, all over the world, all over New England, all over America, wherever you may be listening to, thank you so much for joining me for episode number 86 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. As always, I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and I am so thankful you were able to download, listen, and enjoy this episode. Reach out to me with any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, opinions, anything of the like that you may have that I either talked about that you may agree or disagree with, or maybe something I didn't talk about and you want to bring to my attention that we can have a chat with on social media, down in the comments on YouTube if that's where you're listening to, or maybe something arises and we can talk about it on Monday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But yes, speaking of YouTube, if you're listening to this on YouTube, please make sure you like this video, gives it a nice thumbs up as I would greatly appreciate that. Like I said, comment down below as well as hit that giant red subscribe button if you haven't done so or haven't considered subscribing yet. And if you're listening to audio-only platforms, please make sure you download, listen, and enjoy it over there. As always, reach out to me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Murph's Car Town. Cannot wait to see you guys and talk to you guys on Monday for Monday's episode 87 of Murph's Car Town Sports Shop. But like I said... Please make sure you enjoy the rest of your Friday. Please make sure you enjoy the weekend because the weather is getting cold and it's getting cold fast. So days at the beach are running out. Ice cold margaritas margaritas are starting to get uh, lukewarm and ice cold beer is starting to get piss warm. So that's going to do it for today. Enjoy the weekend. Hopefully I'll see you at the shop. If you're listening, come on by, say hi, rip some cards, have a good time. I will see you on Monday. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. You know that I will always, 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 always see you. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.